How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the moon and it shines not. Yea, the stars are not, not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm. Does anybody have uh, uh, NLT or NKJV or something? Can I have that one? Let, let me read it again. It might give a little bit better understanding. Then Bildad the Shuite answered and said, Dominion and fear belong to him, and he makes peace in his high places. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does, he, upon whom does his light not rise? How then can man be righteous before God? How can he be pure who is born of a woman? If even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot and a son of man who is a worm? How can man be righteous before God? If what God has created cannot be pure in that way before God, how much can a man, how, how much less can a man who's a maggot is a worm who's nothing be righteous before God? This is the final argument of the three friends of Job. All that is left is Job to respond to Bildad's final argument. Elihu comes in and he's, he's, he's very much a young man. Very long-winded in his response. And then after that, God shuts the whole thing down and, and speaks to Job and, 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 and just, just shows Job what he needed to know and then that's the end of the book. So, though we're only at chapter 25, we need to go to chapter 42. It's, it's not a lot left to go through the book of Job. See, Bildad's main argument, and it's been the argument set forth from the beginning, is that humans, especially Job, cannot be right before God. They, cannot, they are not righteous before the Lord. Again, the text first. How can a man be righteous before God? How can a man be pure who's born of a woman? And again, this is something that is not new. It, it, Bildad doesn't take on a new argument. As a matter of fact, the, all their arguments are exhausted. And it's almost like you get to Bildad. Zophar doesn't even speak again, right? Eliphaz spoke three times. Bildad spoke three times. Zophar said, forget it. He just doesn't speak anymore. They've just lost any, anything in their argument because they never really had one. And Eliphaz, earlier on in the book of Job, in chapter 4 and then 15, he says, What is man that he could be pure? And, who, and he who is born of a woman that he could be righteous. But did, did you know that Job agreed with it as well? He, he, he understood that man in, the, in and of himself cannot be innocent or righteous or just before God. Uh, Job even said in chapter 9, Truly, I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? This, this is a good question, is it not? And it's one I wish more people would ask. I wish people would ask, you know, how can a man be right before God. Wouldn't it make our, our evangelism efforts so much easier if people came and asked us the question, how can I be right with God? But you don't get that often, do you? 
You know, it's not a question that many people care about. And, and listen, pray for me Sunday because I'm going to talk to you about this kind of... I'm going to talk to you about the condition of our world that we live in, especially the culture and condition of the UK and how that affects us as a church and how it affects us in gospeling and in evangelizing people. But that's a good question, don't you think? How can a man be righteous, innocent, just before God? And so that's what I want to talk to you tonight about. How can humanity be innocent before God? Because the truth is, we are not innocent before God. There is no one that is innocent, at least initially, before the Lord. In reality, even though Job was claiming that he was innocent, in other words, what Job was claiming, that he had not sinned in a specific way to bring upon the judgment of God. The men were saying, Consistently that, Job, you're not a righteous man. And it is true, that that is true, and it is false. Job was righteous before God because God said he was. But Job hadn't always been righteous before God, right? He hadn't always been right, innocent, justified before God. Why was Job not always right? before God. Same reason why we're not right before God. And typically, we, we, ought, we use this verse in Romans 3.23. Does anybody know it? Yeah. Okay. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. The question I really think is appropriate is... And before we can answer the question, how can a man be made righteous before God, we need to answer the question, why are we needing to be made righteous before God? Why are we not righteous before God? And to understand, why are we sinners? And it's not simply because we sin. It's not simply because we sin that we are sinners. It is, it is much deeper than that. So let me ask you, how did man become sinful? How did man, all men, become sinners? Why are we affected with the condition that we have of fall, having fallen short of the glory of God? Like I said, in order to answer the question, how can a man be righteous? We must first look at why we are not righteous. So in Job chapter 25, being the last argument of the three men, very short chapter, I think it's like six or seven, eight verses or something. And, and, but verse 4 is the key verse. And the statement within that is, how can a man be made righteous before God? That's the question. So now, I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And this is where we will spend most of the evening. I'm sure most of you have read this verse many times. But the verse goes like this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Let me read it again. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, 
and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. I want to read it to you one more time. I, I want you to get this, to let it sink in your mind a little bit. Through one man, sin entered the world. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Through one man sin entered, death through sin. And therefore, that death, that sin spread to all men. Because all sinned. Has anyone ever heard of the term imputation? Anybody? Imputation? Once I define it, you might, might hear. But, but for the most part, if I say imputation or imputed sin, not too many bells? Basically, couple. Basically Romans 5.12 teaches us why all of humanity does what they do. It teaches us, one, why we are all sinners. It teaches us why we are all um, suffering death because of sin, spiritually and physically. It teaches the totality of the effect of sin throughout all of mankind. I think probably Romans 5.12 is one of the most heavy most heaviest, powerful verses that, that explains to us why we do what we do. Why sin is so rampant in our world today. And you know, sin is... And the truth is, I don't really want to teach this tonight. But I'm compelled by God's Word in what I believe the Lord wants me to teach, to teach this verse. So what I'm going to teach you tonight is about the imputation of sin. It is a doctrinal teaching from the Bible. John Piper says this about imputation or imputed sin. What is it? What is imputation? What, is, what does this verse talk about? Why, why do you not have to teach a child to sin? Why is that? Is it just because he learns from his parents or he learns from the surroundings around him? No. The reason you don't have to teach a child to sin to lie, to steal, to be mean, or to be whatever, is because at the very core of every human being is sinfulness. And it was, and it was there from birth. And, and we have, and we can talk about this, um, what do you call it, this time of innocence of a child. What do they call that again? I forgot. Sorry? Age of innocence. Yeah. Is that what you said? What is Oh no, it gets, gets worse at adolescence, I think. But uh, it, it, there's a time of age of innocence. You know, obviously, a newborn baby, a child that doesn't understand the, the concept of sin and all that, they don't get yet. They're, I believe that they're under an uh, um, innocence. But you don't have to teach them to sin because at the very core of every human person is this sinfulness, Right? This is what we're learning from Romans 5.12. John Piper describes it this way. When Adam first sinned, so why, why does that child have that sinfulness in them? Why do, why do we 
have that sinful nature within us? Well, when Adam first sinned, that sin and blame was rightly regarded by God to be our sin as well. Problem with human race is not most deeply that everyone does various kinds of sin. Those sins are real. They're huge and enough to condemn us all. But the deepest problem is that behind all our depravity and all our guilt and all our sinning, there is a mysterious connection with Adam whose sin became our sin and whose judgment became our judgment. You look at your text again in verse 12. Through or by one man, sin entered the world. And death by sin, that sin that entered the world brought death. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So basically, this word imputation, the fact that Adam's sin became our sin, that word imputation means reckoned. So in other words, God reckoned Adam's sin to be our sin. You say, that's not fair, Pastor. Well, actually it is fair. Do you know why it's fair? Because God warned them. Did He not? Didn't God warn them? Didn't God say to Adam and Eve, don't, don't, everything's yours, but not that one. And if you eat that one, you shall surely die. So they were warned death would come by their disobedience. Death would come by their sin. But they did not, they did not heed the warning and they sinned against God. There are three aspects of imputation that we find in the Bible that is taught in God's Word. What we'll look at tonight is number one, it is the imputation of Adam's sin or the reckoning of Adam's sin to all of mankind. But then this, there's a, a, the second type of imputation is the imputation or the reckoning of Christ's righteousness to mankind. Specifically, to those who believe. Okay? And then the third type of imputation is the reckoning or the imputation of our sins to Jesus Christ. And if, you, if we understand these three aspects of imputation, what really you and I will come out of next week when we finish this study of imputation, what you will come out of is you, will, you and I will understand even more wonderfully how beautiful the salvation of Jesus Christ is. It's truly not a work that is done by our own selves, but it is something that Jesus Christ has done for us. So before we can understand the beauty of Jesus' salvation, we need to understand the depravity and the ugliness and the, and the wretchedness of our sin. So that's why tonight I'm not really happy. It's not a very pleasing message to teach, but we need to understand it. So we're going to take it in two separate lessons. Tonight, lesson one, Adam's sin. Next week, lesson two, Christ's righteousness and believer's sin and the imputation that is there. So let's carry on looking at verse 12. The sin of Adam is imputed. It is reckoned to all his descendants. That is, 
it is determined to be theirs. And they are dealt with, therefore, as guilty. How did we become sinners? We became sinners because the sin that Adam and Eve committed was passed to all humanity. That, that's why we are sinners. Do, do you believe that? Do you understand that we are sinners because Adam sinned? Let's look at verse 12 again. It's, it begins from the very beginning. It says, through one man. So, so when Adam and Eve... Am I on now? When Adam and Eve sinned, this, this sin entered. It came into the world. It affected all of humanity. This term entered into, it means in an essence that when Adam and Eve sinned, they opened up the door to the world. And they ushered in this sinfulness. One of the theologians I read, he wrote it like this. He says, entered into means that sin went into the world's front door by, mean, by the means of Adam's disobedience. He brought in and ushered in this sinfulness that affected every living human that was to ever come after Adam and Eve. Adam let it in. And when it came in, it permeated everything. You see how deep and, and widespread and, and powerful in a sense that this sin is that came into the world? So the Bible... Uh-oh. There we go. My, my iPad locked up. It wouldn't move. So, this sin of this imputated sin, you and I are sinners because through one man, He opened the door to the world and He allowed in, He ushered in this sinfulness into His family. He brought it into His family. Because aren't we really all, in a sense, related our father is Adam and Eve. These, these my long lost sister. You know, don't we look like our mother and father? I mean, come on now. You know, we're related and we really are. We are. We're family. We're just long lost 10 million cousins or something. You know? Do you get it? Adam allowed sin into the world. I remember years ago, one of the kids, I think, I think it was maybe Zach or, or, or Stephen, he, they got in trouble and, and I had to discipline them and I put them into bed, you know, and he starts crying. He was only like four years old or something and he starts crying. He says, uh, I'm going to talk to him when I get to heaven. Who are you going to talk to? Adam. Why are you going to talk to Adam? I'm going to find out why he did this because I'm getting in trouble because of him. Now, I, I changed the wording a little bit, but that's basically what one of my sons said. We cannot excuse our sin on that basis. But that's not too far from the truth, is it? We are sinful because sin, this devastating thing, came into our family and it has permeated every single one of us. So when it says that it entered in, it means there was a permeation. It has saturated every essence of us. It has saturated every human being. We are all sinners because of the sin of one man. 
and the penalty, the, the, the effects of that sin is death. And the Bible says in our text verse here, sin entered the world in death by sin. Death because of sin. Death reckoned by sin. Death became ours because of sin. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Why can't we get a, gra- get a grasp of this truth? Why couldn't Adam understand that by just that little bit of self-gratification, by that, by that being temp- that temptation and, and disobedience of God, that the utter destruction that He would bring into the human race, The price of sin is a permeated death that goes upon every single human being. And here's the extent of that sin and death. The result of Adam's sin entering the world was that this death for all men was truly for all humanity. It spread it went through everything and everybody. It means that death penetrated the entire human race like a vapor permeating all of a house's rooms. The Bible again says, through one man, death by sin. And this death permeated all men. Kenneth Wiest He wrote this. This literally means this. Into all men, death came throughout. That is, when death entered the human race, it went throughout the race, affecting everyone. Why do we need a Savior? Because everybody here is dead. We're not not sinners because... We, we're like Charlie Manson or we're Ted Bundy. We're sinners because we're the son or the daughter. Do- oh, serial killers. And that is face. <laughs> yeah, she's young. <laughs> uh, we're sinners because, because Adam sinned and he allowed that sinfulness to enter his family and it permeated the very life of all the descendants of Adam. Death came into this world and affected everybody. But pastor, if you read on through the verse, at the very end of it, it says, because all, for that all have sinned. Doesn't that mean you know, we're all responsible for our own sin? Yes, we are all responsible for our own sin. But pastor, doesn't that actually mean, you know, even though Adam sinned in it and all, but, but we, we, we are sinning because we actually do the acts of sin. No, that's not actually what that means. See, this word here at the end of verse 12, that, that, wherein it says, for, all have, for that all have sinned, it's a slightly different word than the one previous to it. Earlier in the verse, it says death by sin. It is death by hamartia. 
the, the permeated sin that came into the world. The effects of Adam's disobedience. That is that, is that hey, hey Martia. That, 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 the, the definition that I gave to you earlier. When Adam sinned, hey Martia came into the world. Death. Death by that sin that permeated everything. And so therefore, you and I are permeated with sin, right? We are, we are sinners in, in that sense. So, because of that, we all sin. The word sinned here in the end of the verse is the word hemartano. It is that word that means to miss the mark. Do you know what, Stephen? You miss the mark not because you have curly hair. You miss the mark not because of anything that you do. You miss the mark because you're a sinner. Nikki, you miss the mark. You hey Martano because you are hey Martia. Do you understand? You miss the mark of God's glory. You miss the mark of God. You cannot attain to God because you are permeated with sinfulness, with that nature of sin, with the thing that that Adam and Eve brought into their family and into this world. You became full of sin, sinful. Hey, Martia. And because you're hey, Martia, you will. Hey, Martano, you will miss God's mark. So it goes for all the kids here, all the kids everywhere, every human being, every old person, every middle-aged person, every breathing human person. We are permeated by sin. We are done. That is what Romans 5.12 means. That's what it's teaching. Sin was reckoned to us by our dad, because he sinned. God said, Adam, you've sinned. I have reckoned it to all your children. Now, so we miss the mark because all sinned. On the account that we are sinners, permeated with sin, we can do nothing to attain to God's standard or glory or anything. And that, is why we need to be saved. We don't need to be saved or and, and come to Christ so that we can have a better life. We don't, we don't need to be saved so that we can go to heaven. We need to be saved because we are permeated with sin and we need to be innocent before God and we need to be made righteous before God. And when God makes us righteous before Him through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ by grace and faith alone, and that is it, then, guess what? God gives us the grace to live life. God gives, an e- gives us an eternal home in heaven and, and, lives, and lives with Him for eternity. But it grieves me that people say, oh, you want to go to heaven? Man, you need to be saved. Yeah, I want to go to heaven. Does anybody want to burn in fire? I want to go to heaven, but you know what? What I need to want even more so is that my sins are washed away by the blood of Christ. That I come to Jesus because I am a sinner. I need to be saved because I am permeated from the very moment I come out of the mama's garage. You know, I'm, I'm permeated with sin. 
I just, I don't know where every child is. I don't, I don't want to cause issues. And so, April says, not, not a problem here. Not. Okay, womb. As soon as the child comes out of the womb, you know what? He is permeated, permeated with sinfulness. And that's why we need to be saved. We need to be saved because that sin cannot come into heaven. That sin cannot stand before God. That sin needs to be cleansed and wiped away. See, we miss the mark because we have no power in us to attain to the mark. We miss the mark, Hamartano, because we are deeply Hamartia. We are sinful. And sinful people need to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. You see, the reason death affects all is that all have sinned. We've missed the mark because when Adam sinned, all humanity sinned in him. Adam's initial sin made him a sinner. And therefore, we are sinners. Not because we've committed acts of sin, but because in Adam, everybody has sinned. Now, as confusing as that might be to accept, that is the Bible teaching of God's Word. You know, we are sinners because Adam sinned. And you know what? The penalty, part of it, of Adam's sin to Adam was his children were all diseased. I have a friend. You know them, actually. Uh, the Whites. Some of you remember Monty White? The guy that came and taught on creation and stuff a few years ago? His wife, uh, Irene, has a very... Um, What's the word for rare? Has a very rare disease, a cancer. And the only way that you, and I don't remember the name of it, but the only way that you can get this form of cancer is from a parent. Is In her family, is, is, is from Irene. Now they have three children. And two of the three children have this disease, have, have this cancer. Simon and their other son. And they have this cancer and they got it from Irene. They got it from the mom. And, 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 and it was, it's not fair. But it is what has happened. And, and, and I was thinking about them. I thought this is how the sin from Adam is kind of working. They did nothing to get it. It must be given to them from birth. And that's how they got it. It wasn't their fault. But they have to live with the implications of it. And the only way that this cancer can be dealt with is through radiation treatment. Now, you and I might say, oh, it's not fair that God has allowed this the one, the sin of one man to affect everybody. But that is exactly how it's worked. And the only treatment for it is salvation through Jesus Christ. Through believing in Him. That God sent His Son to wash all your sin away. To forgive your sin. But even more important than what we'll look at next week, Jesus Christ came so that your sin would be imputed to Him. And His righteousness would be imputed to you. Now, do you understand? That is the only way that this thing could have worked. There can be no salvation by our works or by our merits. Because this sin thing came in the way it came in and the way it has permeated humanity, 
It can only be cleansed by God. That's why Jesus came. To cleanse us of our sin. And just so that you don't think that I'm making this imputation thing up, David held to this view. Take your Bibles and we'll read this text and then we'll be finished. And you know what? In a way, I'm sorry. This isn't a message tonight. You can come in and take take a bunch of junk in your bucket out with you and say, you know, I've learned this and I can apply this to my life. But I hope if you give me another week, we can bring it all together and you understand. Listen, sin is nothing to play with. Your salvation is nothing to wait on. I mean, what are you waiting for? God has made the way for you to be forgiven. You just need to believe what He has said and accept it. He will cleanse you of your sin. Now, David says this in Psalm 51. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to Your loving kindness, according to the multitude of Your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. Now, this is a sinner's prayer. Amen. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against You and You only have I sinned and I have done this evil in Your sight that You may be found just when You speak and blameless when You judge. Listen to what He says here. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin my mother conceived me. That is not talking about illegitimate, you know, that kind of thing. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the fact that He was born a sinner. Listen. For by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves. It is the gift of God lest any man should boast. And I can't tell you how burdened I am for the kids in our church. Because I think sometimes, all my kids, your kids, every kid, all kids. And a bunch of adults too. You know, I'm burdened. Sorry? Yes, you are. Yeah? There's 30 years gap between you and me and Lisa here. That constitutes you as a child. Now, you know what? uh, We need to pray that those who are not saved would understand how utterly sinful they are in their need for Jesus Christ. I'll tell you something. This has helped me in some ways to understand why we as sinners do what we do. You know, sin is pretty awful, isn't it? Well, it is pretty awful. Let's pray.